Galatians 5, 22. Everybody ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 3 and look with me at verse number 4. And we'll read down through verse number 10. I'll begin in verse 4. We'll begin together in verse 5 and then read every other verse together. The Bible says in verse 4, For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. Together, verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now, if we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord... For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? Let's read verse 10 together as well. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. We've been going through the fruits of the Spirit one at a time. We've worked our way through the first six. We're on the seventh, uh, seventh one on the list there in Galatians 5. And that would be faith. The title of the message today is this, Developing the Fruit of Faith. Developing the Fruit of Faith. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us as we look at this very important truth. Lord, it's a a staple of Christianity. We cannot call ourselves honest Christians if we're not living each facet of our life by faith. And so, Lord, help us to take our eyes off the material and the physical. Help us to take our eyes off ourselves and to put our eyes on you and your word and the commands you've given us. And, Lord, the love you have for us. And help us to trust you. And, Lord, help us to know that you know what's best. Would you, Lord, move in our hearts today? If there's one here who has their faith in anything other than Christ to get to heaven... Would you help them to see the error in their thought process and help them to put their trust in you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, normally I wait to the end of the message to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it uh, now. Uh, I want to plug and promote this evening's message. Uh, We're going through the two types of fruit bearing that the Christian is to do. One type of fruit we're going through on Sunday morning, and the other type of fruit we're going over on Sunday evening. Sunday morning, we're looking at the fruit that the Spirit bears in our lives. As we yield to the Lord, as we yield to the the Spirit of God within us, there is fruit that is born in our lives. So today we'll look at faith. In the evening we're looking at the fruit that the Christian is to bear. So the fruit of the Spirit in the morning. The fruit of the saint in the evening. What is the fruit of a Christian? The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. And if we're doing what we've been commanded and called to do. Then we will be reproducing ourselves and others around us. And so we have spent 
three or four Sundays looking at the process of seeing a soul saved, leading someone to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save them. Uh, tonight we're going to look at the second part. There's, a, there's three parts to the Great Commission given to Matthew 28, 19. Go, you know, therefore, in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The second one there is baptizing them. And I have to tell you, I've been in church a long time. I've been in church for 35 years. I don't know that I've ever heard a pastor teach his people how to get people, how to get their convert into the baptistry water and baptized. I don't know that I've ever heard that taught very much or preached very much. Tonight, the title of my message is this, Getting My Converts Baptized. How do I get someone I've led to the Lord to agree to get in that baptistry pool or one like it and be baptized? Um, I can tell you it's not the easiest task that you've been commanded to do as a Christian. In fact, I would rank it on the list of one of the toughest things to do. But it can be done, and I tell you it can be done because God's commanded us to do it. And if God's commanded us to do it, then he's going to give us the wherewithal to get it done. And so come back tonight, and we're going to, we're going to look at a Bible study on what baptism is. Uh, we're going to clarify some things about baptism. We live in a highly Catholic area, and so there's some people uh, even that go to this church who I believe might be a little confused on what baptism is. And so we'll clarify that, and then we'll talk about how to go about getting someone who's put their faith in Christ to agree to and go through the process of getting baptized. Well, we're looking at faith this morning. Um, uh, let's see. Let me give you three uh, thoughts about faith here in the introduction. And you hear the word faith, and it almost just goes right over your head, or it will go in one ear and out the other. There are certain words that you expect to hear when you go to church. Words like God and saved and faith. And these are words that you'll hear at a handful of, uh, of churches that are Protestant, even Catholic churches, uh, and, and also here at a Baptist church. But what does the word faith mean? It is a word that maybe is overused. It's a Bible word, and so I don't know that you can overuse a Bible word. But it's overused in the sense that it has grown familiar to us. And, and, and you get to a place where you hear a word so many times where you almost quit thinking about what it actually means. It's sort of like when you're singing a hymnal and you've been going to church for 30 years and you stand and sing Amazing Grace and the first time you sing it, it meant something and now when you sing it, it almost is just routine. It's, it's a matter of routine. I can get up here and quote John 3.16 and the first time you heard John 3.16, boy, it was powerful and it hit home and there was a lot to it. Now when you hear it, it may still mean, might still mean something to you, but not quite what it did. Faith is that same way. Faith, the first time we had it explained to us, it was a big deal. It meant something. Now we hear it and it's, oh yeah, faith, you know, faith-based church and faith-based organization and, and it's a word that's used to a point where we almost don't focus on it or understand it. Let me give you some thoughts on faith uh, by way of introduction here. The first thing that I have down here in my notes is this. Faith is trust. Faith is trust. Do you trust someone? Do you trust someone? Um, You are going to have to, uh, let's say you're, you're making out a will and you have small children at home. And you're making out a will just in case something tragic happens to you and your spouse. And you are going to pick the people that get to have your children when you die. Can I tell you something about the people that you pick? You really trust them. 
You trust them. You have faith in them. You buy into their parenting style. You buy into their morals and values. You buy into their uh, direction in life. You believe that they are a stable couple. You believe they are a morally pure couple or person. And you're buying, you trust them. There's a faith level. I'm using an extreme example to show you that God asks us to trust him. There is to be a faith there. What is the most intimate, personal, important area of your life? And God says, I want you to trust me with that. What is faith? Faith is trust. The second thing I wrote down here is that faith is reliance. Faith is reliance. It's one thing for Angela and I to sit down and make out a will and pick some couple and say, if, if some tragedy happens in our lives, would you take care of our kids? But am I really relying on that person? No, I, I am relying on them in a hypothetical. In a hypothetical that probably isn't going to happen. But see, faith isn't just hypothetical trust. Faith is a daily reliance in our Creator. It's a daily reliance. It's every area of my life, Lord, I'm relying on you. And my reliance is in you. Uh, uh, when my car breaks down, instead of getting upset and yelling at my car, or, or the church bus breaks down, like that happens a lot, and uh, yelling at the church bus, instead of that, we stop and we say, Lord, you have a purpose in this. You have a plan in this, and I trust you. Do you know sometimes our cars break down or something goes wrong, and the reason why it goes wrong is God's says, you weren't trusting me with that, so I'm going to take it from you, so you'll start trusting me, and then maybe I'll allow it to start working again. I'll allow that to start going the way you want it to go again. Sometimes God puts his hand in our life, and he messes things up because we don't trust him. And he says, your reliance is in your job, and your reliance is in uh, 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 some person, your reliance is in some moral code or some system, but your reliance, you're leaning on me, it's not really true to me. Oh, it may generically be on me, and you may go to church, and you may listen to a sermon a week, a couple of times a week, and you may read your Bible here and there, and you may treat the Bible like an encyclopedia when you get to a hard spot in life, but are you really relying on me when it gets down into the nitty gritty of life. Faith is trust. Faith is reliance. The third thing I wrote down is faith is dependence. Dependence. Now reliance and dependence are similar, but let me just take it a a step further. Do you depend on God when things really get tough? It's one thing to rely on God. Uh, sometimes I'll go into the bathroom. Uh, I wake up in the morning and, and I'll go in the bathroom and I'll turn on the shower. And I'll say, Lord, would you help hot water come out that shower head? Well, I know that my, my heater, my hot water tank is full and, and my furnace is providing hot water. And you know what? If I didn't pray that, there would still be hot water that would come out. Probably. But you know why I do that? Because I want God to get the credit for everything. That's reliance. That's reliance. Lord, um, uh, help me get to work and home from work without an accident. Yesterday we were going up to um, uh, my brother here is in town because one of our brothers got married yesterday. And we went up to the wedding in Southington, and a lady spun off the road and ran into a guardrail. When he passed, we passed her uh, going up um, uh, Highway 8 there. Her, uh, her windshield was smashed. The front end of her car was destroyed. The airbag was deployed, and she had blood running down from her nose. You know, that could be me or you tomorrow. 
That could be one of us on the way home from church today. I think over to Psalm 91 where the Bible says that God puts his angels over us to watch us. That's reliance. That's relying on God. But how about when things do get tough? You know, Jesus told his disciples that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Sometimes you're going to have bad things happen to you. Sometimes that is going to be you in that car accident. That is going to be you sitting in the oncologist's office learning of cancer. Uh, Sometimes that is going to be you finding out tragic news of a loved one who suddenly died. And when those days come, is your dependence in you? Is it in some person? Or is it in the Lord? Is it in God? Is your faith strong? You see, faith isn't just some pie-in-the-sky abstract word we throw around loosely. No, faith is trust. Faith is reliance. Faith is uh, uh, down into hard time dependence. How about when you lose your job and you don't know where the next check's coming from to pay the mortgage or the rent and, and you're, 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 you're getting stressed and you're wondering, Lord, what am I going to do? And you're out applying at different places and you're seeking for unemployment, maybe help and whatever you can do. Uh, do you get frazzled and rattled or do you get down on your knees or go for a long walk and say, Lord, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I am your child. You love me. And while my love for you should be more pure, and while I've made some mistakes along the way, I know you love me. And God, I'm depending on you to pay the bills. I'm depending on you to emotionally carry me through a hard time. Faith isn't just some abstract word. Faith is something we must live. You must understand this morning that faith is of the utmost importance for you to please God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. If you know it, say it with me. For it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of him that diligently seek him. It is impossible. It is impossible to please God if we're not living by faith. You all got up and got dressed this morning. From what I can tell, everyone is wearing garments. And to that I say, thank you. All right? When you got dressed this morning, did you ask God what you should wear? Say, oh, God doesn't care about that. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, 1 Corinthians tells us, do all, do all, do all to the glory of God. Does that involve getting dressed? Of course it does. You say, uh, well, I got up and got dressed this morning. Did you ask God what you should wear? Did you get dressed by faith? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You get in your car this afternoon and you turn on music. That music you're listening to. Did you ask God if you had His permission to listen to that? I'm not even talking about sinful music versus uh, godly music. Even the godly music you listen to. Lord, what music would you have me listen to today? You see, we're so spoiled. Uh, I can open up my phone right now and go to my Spotify app, and I can pull up one of about 10 to 100 different music albums, and, and, that, that all, and all of it, I believe, pleases the Lord. And I can make my choice between sacred uh, uh, worship music that's instrumental to a, a southern gospel quartet that's singing in four-part harmony, uh, uh, the old rugged cross, and, and everything in between. Lord, today, what would you have me listen to? You see, it's totally... Total reliance, it's total dependence, it's total trust. The Bible says that if we yield to the Spirit of God, one of the fruits that He will grow on the fruit tree of our life is a faith that is strong and mighty and verbose and impressive. 
How strong is your faith fruit? Are you developing the fruit of faith? Whether you have been saved for five minutes or 50 years, God is never done growing your faith. God is never done growing your faith. Abraham. Boy, God took, put him through the ringer, didn't he? You're this rich man. Pick up and go. Where am I going? I don't know. I'll tell you when you get there. All right. Hey, Sarah, we're moving. Where are we moving to? I don't know. Load the U-Haul and we're going to start heading down the interstate and, and uh, we'll, we'll take the highways according to, as God tells us. Obviously, I'm modernizing the story, but you get the idea. And they're, they're wandering around and wandering around and Lot leaves and his dad dies prior to that and, 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 and he's lonely and the Lord has to come alongside him. Chapter 12 of Genesis, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 16, chapter 17, God comes alongside of him to say, hey, uh, it's going to be okay. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a work here. Trust me. Trust me. Rely on me. Depend on me. Have faith in me. Finally, Genesis 19, Isaac is born and his wife is over 90 years old. Menopause is way in the rearview mirror. A miraculous birth. Surely now they're done learning faith. Oh, no. Oh, no. In fact, history tells us that Isaac was probably about 30 years old. God one day says to Abraham... Uh, In chapter 22, hey, Abraham, you know that son that you love? Yeah, Isaac, that one. The one that you waited decades to get. I want you to take that son. And I want you to take him on a journey. And I want you to plunge a knife into his chest. He says, what? He said, Abraham, do you trust me? Well, surely after decades of... Being a justified saint, God was done teaching Abraham faith. Oh, no, he wasn't. Abraham had to go up there and do that ludicrous act of of laying his son on an altar and raising a knife in the air and actually starting downward with the knife. And God sent an angel to stop his hand. Can I tell you that to us that know the Bible, that story makes sense, right? That's an Old Testament picture of Christ. Genesis 22, Isaac is a representation of Jesus. But can I tell you to Abraham, that made no sense. It never made any sense in his lifetime. But he did it because he was walking by faith. Whether you are a senior saint in our church, that's what we call our senior citizens. Senior saints. Although some of these ladies over here, I see them cutting up in church sometimes. And... um, They're pinching each other and poking each other. But uh, our senior saints, whether you're a senior saint or whether you've just been saved for for a, a week, a month, a year, God is not done growing your faith. He wants you to that fruit to continue to develop and to grow and to be made stronger. Let's jump in this morning and look at five thoughts about this topic of faith, of trust, of reliance, of dependence. Let's look at it this morning. The notes will be up on the screen. You have a fill-in-the-blank uh, uh, outline on the back of your bulletin. I would encourage you to get a pen and take notes. Number one, notice faith's areas. Faith's areas. Go back to First Thessalonians chapter... Three with me. And uh, let me just quickly say that Paul had gone to a region uh, here in America. We would call it a state. 
Uh, but he had gone to a region called Macedonia, and he planted all kinds of churches all over that state or region. And one of them was in a city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica, and that church, or rather, um, uh, that the letters of First and Second Thess- Thessalonians were written to that church, that local independent church there in the city of Thessalonica. It was a church made up of Gentiles, non-Jews, and uh, Paul started the church and then had to quickly depart uh, under a hand of persecution. And he was nervous that because of the persecution, the church is shut down. So he sent Timothy back to check on them and see how their faith was going and growing. Look at verse number five. For this cause which I could no longer forbear, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. Now look at this next phrase. Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. So Paul and Timothy are in uh, another city, and they're planning another church, and there's this constant conversation, or this regular conversation, going on between Paul and Timothy, and the conversation is going something like this. I wonder how the church in Thessalonica is doing. And I can see Timothy asking Paul that, and Paul saying, boy, I don't know. We left in the, in, in the middle of the night. We had to escape from Justice's house. And, and uh, they were looking to arrest the, the, the leaders of the church and throw them in jail and make an example out of them. And boy, I bet the sheep scattered. And, uh, and, and Timothy says, well, I don't know. You know, some of them, they seemed pretty sincere and pretty devout. And, and this conversation happened over and over again. And finally, Paul looked at Timothy and said, Timothy, why don't you just head over there under the cover of night and just check and see if that church is still going and growing. And so Timothy goes and he brings back a report to Paul. And he says, you wouldn't believe it. Their faith is being perfected. Now, verse 10 will tell us that their faith had plenty of room to grow. We'll get to that at the end of the message. But he said their faith is strong. And in verse 5, we find this phrase, Lest by some means the tempter... Who is the tempter? Speak to me this morning. Satan's the tempter, right? Lest by some means the tempter, having uh, tempted you and our labor be in vain. What's that mean? Lest that by some means Satan will have brought doubt in and corrupted your faith and shut down the church. Well, you notice how there's a plurality to the word means? Do you know that there are different areas that Satan can attack our faith? There are different areas. And faith isn't, again, faith isn't just this abstract idea of, well, I I believe and I have faith. No, faith comes down to practicality. Let me give you uh, quickly here. I'm going to make no comments. I'll save my comments for point two. I'm going to rattle these off quickly here. So write furiously. Letter A, notice financial faith. Financial faith. Letter B is emotional faith. Uh, I'll repeat these again because they're going to fly up on the screen and then fly off the screen. Letter C is physical faith, physical faith, and D is spiritual faith. Again, financial A, emotional B, physical C, spiritual D. Uh, I'm going to show you these in Scripture under point two. So hang with me here. Letter A, financial faith, emotional faith. Letter B, physical faith, spiritual faith. Okay, so these are the areas of faith. And, um, and I, there are, this is not a complete list. There's also relational faith. And I'm sure we could probably uh, have a hand-raising time and uh, find out even a few more. But these are the main ones we're going to hit this morning. So number one, faith's areas. Number two, notice faith's ability. Faith's ability. What can faith do? 
What can faith do? I think back to about a year and a half ago, I sat at a Panera Bread over in North Haven, and I met with a man who is a, a very good personal injury lawyer. And uh, he, he's one of the top personal injury lawyers in the country by his own profession. I take him at his word. And uh, he was going through a very difficult time in his life, some relational struggles, and reached out to a church member here who, who works with him. And the church member said, well, would you like to sit down with my pastor? And here I am meeting with, uh, with this guy in, in a Panera Bread. And um, uh, he made this comment to me. And again, this is not about lifting me up. It's more about making a point. The first thing he said to me, is how do we know that faith is real? How do we know that faith is real? You know what atheism is? It's a belief that faith doesn't exist. Now, they do have a belief system. They're just they're blind to it. But atheism is an attempt to say, I don't believe in God. It's, an, it's a claim at an absence of faith. Now, without getting into the weeds of that, because we could chase that rabbit for the next four hours. Uh, uh, but you know what? He asked me, how do you know that faith is real? I looked at him and I said, how do you know that love is real? Can you see love? Can you touch love? How do you know that the wind is real? Well, he said there's evidences of it. I see the, the leaves blow around, and it was a snowy day that day, and uh, a gust of wind came by at some point and knocked some snow off the roof of one of the buildings, and it was just scattered in the air. And I said, you don't see the wind, you see the evidences of the wind. I said, you don't see love, but you feel the evidences of love. You don't see faith, you feel, you experience The evidences of faith. By the time we get done with the conversation, he looked at me and he said, Your faith muscle is strong and mine is weak. He said, I do not have it in me to believe in your God yet because my faith is so weak. And I I looked at him and I said, It isn't that your faith is weak. It's that your faith is misplaced. I said, You're going to get in your car in a few minutes and you're going to drive down the road. And guess what? There's going to be cars coming at you on the other side of that double yellow line. And you've never met that driver. You don't know that man or that woman. And you trust that they're not going to come across that double line and take your life. I said, You have blind faith in someone you've never met, but You can't put blind faith in God. I said, it isn't that you don't have faith. It is that your faith is misplaced. And today I would say to you that faith, when it is placed in the right spot, when it's used appropriately, when it's in God, faith's ability is mighty. Because we're putting our trust, our reliance, our dependence in God. And God then steps in and he flexes his muscles and he does some incredible things in our life. Letter A, notice... It supplies our needs. It supplies our needs. Uh, hold your place in First Thessalonians. Put a marker there in your Bible. And uh, turn over with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in First Timothy 6 in a moment, which is right next to First Timothy. Uh, 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 which is right next to First Thessalonians. So marking your place in Thessalonians will come in helpful. Matthew chapter number 6. Jesus here is giving his Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. And... Look at verse 30 with me. For sake of time, I'm going to begin reading. It says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Look at verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father 
Knoweth ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought. Boy, that phrase is uh, repeated, I believe, four different times in this passage. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient in the day is the evil thereof. You know what he's saying here is that if you will be truly be my disciple and you'll follow me and you'll put your faith in me, I will supply for your every need. A little earlier in this chapter, he talks about how that the, the grass of the field, the flowers of the field, they are taken care of by God. And their beauty uh, is far, far exceeds the beauty of Solomon arrayed in all of his gold. Solomon's probably the richest man ever to live. And God said, Solomon put his faith in himself. Solomon put his faith in his own finances. And Solomon was trusting in himself and his own ability to provide for his own needs. And he decorated himself with it. You go over to Ecclesiastes and you learn about all the things Solomon did. He had men singers and women singers that would stand around and sing at his behest. He had orchestras that just stood around waiting for him to want them to play. And he had everything that uh, that, that a man could would ever want. And God said, even Solomon with all of these things was never as good looking, was never as taken care of, was never as happy and joyous as the flowers of the field who depend on their creator to take care of them. Christian, who's your faith in this morning? Who's your faith in this morning? If you were to go to work tomorrow and find out that you had lost your job, I think for all of us, it would be a uh, hard-hitting news to discover. To find out that you had to seek employment all over again and that your money had run uh, dry. What if you were like Job and you found out in about an hour, or maybe less than that, that all of your wealth was gone? Could you fall on your face and said, Naked I came into this world, naked I will depart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though He slay me, yet will I serve Him. You know how Job was able to say that? Because his financial faith was in the Lord. In the Lord. Um, who owns the money of the world? Who owns the money in your bank account? Who owns the money in your wallet right now? Some of you don't sound so sure. Everything I own, I don't actually own it. I steward it. It belongs to God. Now, I want to ask a hard-hitting question here. If God is the one that is to supply your need financially, why would you work on Sunday when he has commanded you to not neglect being in church? You say, but if I don't go to work on Sunday, I'll lose my job. Who's the one that provides the money? Is that really where your faith is? Is that really where your faith is? Now, some of you aren't there yet. And until you get there, you don't need to just go and quit your job. You need to grow your faith in that place. But I'm giving you a theory to let uh, uh, simmer in your mind. And ask yourself, is my faith really in the Lord? Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy here. And again, you're in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Timothy would be just a few pages to the right. 1 Timothy chapter 6, he's writing to Timothy, and he's telling him, he's saying, Be careful, don't fall in the money pit. 
Don't fall in a pit of loving money. Look at verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. By the way, money is not the root of all evil. There's nothing wrong with money. Loving it is evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Look at that. Erred from the faith. How do you err from the faith? Well, uh, that, that some means mentioned in 1 Thessalonians. We looked at it a few minutes ago. One of those means Satan tempts us is with money. They've erred from the faith and pierced themselves uh, through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Run in the opposite direction. Follow after, follow after righteousness, godliness. Look at this one. Faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession uh, before many witnesses. What he's saying here is that if you will put your faith in God, He will supply your needs. What is faith's ability? Well, if your faith is strong in God and you're walking by faith, what you'll find is that every financial need, not want, but every need you have, Will be supplied. Let her be noticed. It soothes our fears. It soothes our fears. Turn over to Mark chapter number eight. Mark chapter number eight and verse number twenty-six. If you're new to our church, we use our Bible a lot here, and so um, if you're not uh, uh, capable or able or, or fast enough to turn over with us, just do your best to sit up and listen. If you are capable to turn, please do so. Mark eight chapter Mark chapter eight verse twenty-six. The Bible says, and he. Sent him away to his house saying, neither go, uh, let's see, I am in the wrong spot. Matthew, let's try Matthew. That's it, Matthew eight twenty six. That's why it's on the screen is Matthew 8. It's in my notes is Matthew 8. Aren't you glad to know your pastor isn't perfect along with you, amen? Matthew chapter 8 verse 26 says, and he saith unto them, saith unto them, why are ye, look here, fearful, why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. He soothes our fears. Now, we looked at peace about a month ago, five weeks ago. And we talked about how peace is absent in so many Christians' lives. I don't know that I've gotten more feedback from a sermon than I have on the one I preached on peace. And what I take away from that is that so many of you lack peace in your life. And I don't say that in a condescending tone. But can I tell you where a fearful heart comes from? It comes from a lack of faith in God. I think about my little girl when thunder and lightning are raging outside her bedroom window in the middle of the night and wakes her up. She pops off her pillow and she comes running into our room and she climbs in bed between my wife and I. Guess which one she snuggles up to? Snuggles up to me. She's shivering. She's afraid. Now the truth is, there's nothing I can do if lightning were to strike us. <laughs> lightning is bigger and stronger than I am. But she finds respite. She finds peace. She finds safety in my arms. I'm able to hold her and rub her forehead and whisper in her ear that it's all going to be okay. And she has faith in Dad that Dad's going to pr- protect her. Christian, when life is hard-hitting and you are afraid, do you run into the arms of Jesus and ask for His, His comfort? Do you ask Him to calm you? You see, we run to everyone but God, and then we are an emotional mess. Hey, by the way, a litmus test for you. The next time you have something go wrong in your life... What, uh, look at this, what is, it, what is the first thing you do? Do you pick up the phone and do you call a mentor or a parent or a sibling? 
Do you call a friend? Do you tell your spouse? Or do you run to the Lord in prayer? You see, because you can come to me. You can call the pastor. You can call an assistant pastor. You can call one of the deacons. You can call one of the other brothers in the church or sisters in the church who are well established. We can give you some biblical counsel. We can pray with you, but we cannot pray for you. We cannot run into the arms of God for you. You see, it is faith that runs into God's arms and says, Lord, I'm fearful. I don't know the future. I, uh, there's uncertainties in my life. And Lord, I need to trust you. And when we do that, what is faith's ability? Well, it soothes our fear. Mark 4.40, we find a similar story. Let's look at letter C. It may strengthen our bodies. It may strengthen our bodies. Now, I put the word may here because nowhere in scriptures does the Bible say that if we have faith, God will take away our illnesses. But we do find in a number of places where people had faith and God did physically heal bodies. And so turn over to Matthew chapter 9. And without comment, let's just look at a couple of these. Matthew chapter 9, I'll save comment until we have looked at all of them. Matthew chapter 9 verse 9, it says... And as Jesus passed forth from hence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Again, wrong verse. Look at verse 22. And Jesus turned um, uh, him about. And when he saw her, he said, daughter, be of good comfort. There's the soothing of the emotional fear. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole. From that hour, how was she healed physically? She was healed physically by her faith. Turn over to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 28. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 28. Again, for sake of time, when I get there, I'm going to start reading. The Bible says in verse number 28, it says, Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. So again, Jesus physically healing someone because of their faith. Turn over with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 52. By the way, I only pulled down a handful of verses. We could be here for an hour, probably another 20 minutes. I'm trying not to exaggerate. Uh, probably another 20 minutes just reading verses about people's faith making them whole. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 52 says, And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus uh, in the way. Turn over to Luke chapter 18 and verse 42. Luke chapter 18 and verse 42. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. Thy faith hath saved thee. You know what that saved there means? He got his sight back. He being blind to be able to see. Why? Because of his faith. I wonder this, um, uh, Christian. I wonder how many folks who are saved, God would reach down and take a physical ailment or sickness away, except for the lack of faith in the heart of of that believer. Now, I don't want anybody to misconstrue or misunderstand me. I am four doctors, and I am four hospitals. But I am not for you putting so much faith in a hospital system or a medical system that you take your eyes off the great physician. When uh, if you ever have me come pray over you before a surgery. Or you have me lay hands on you and anoint you with oil, as I've done to a handful of you here today. Please understand that there's nothing magical in the oil 
that I wipe on your forehead. There's no potion or spoofle dust that I can throw on you that's going to take that sickness away. We're never going to have a healing service at White Oak Baptist Church as long as I'm the pastor. We're not going to strike you in the forehead and tell you to be healed and watch you fall out. Because you know what? Those things do not heal anybody. You know what heals the sick? Rather, do you know who heals the sick? It's the Lord. And you know what He uses to heal the sick? He uses the faith of the sick. There's somebody here this morning who's been battling a sickness for a long time. Privately. Maybe even someone publicly. You're running from this doctor to that doctor. And you're asking for this solution and that solution. Again, there's nothing wrong with going to the doctor. But your faith better be in the great physician, not some physician. Your faith better be that God will use that physician to heal you. Or that God doesn't even need that physician to heal you. God may look down at you and say, okay, according to your faith, be it unto you. If your faith is absent, guess what? You're going to keep being sick. It may strengthen our bodies. Letter D, lastly here under point two. Notice, well, I have two more. We'll hit these quickly. Letter D, notice it saves the lost. It saves the lost. Turn to Romans chapter 3, verse number 28. Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Uh, you, you still engaged this morning? Are you listening? Say amen if you're still alive. All right. All the dead people just sat there. We'll have to call an ambulance for them after church. Romans chapter 3. Verse number 28 says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. How are we justified? How are we forgiven? How do we get to heaven? We're, we're saved by faith. Saved by faith. Faith in who? Faith in Christ. Turn over to Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 16. Romans, First and Second Corinthians. Right after Second Corinthians you find the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 2 and verse number 16. The Bible says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even when uh, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Uh, if you uh, attend a church that tells you that you must work your way to heaven, or if you, uh, if you know someone who believes that, take them to Galatians 2.16. And read in that verse. The verse could not be more clear. There is nothing you can do in keeping the law that will get to you to heaven. Zero percent. Let me say that again. Zero percent of getting to heaven is based on your ability to be good. How does a person get to heaven? They put their trust, their reliance, their dependence on Christ who died on the cross for our sins. Who had enough power to stand up from death and say, I win. We get to say, we get saved, we get forgiven, we get rescued out of hell and have our feet put on the path to heaven. Not by our works, but simply by our trust, our faith. The jailer came to Paul and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul looked at him and he said, go live a good life. Is that what he said? He said, go get baptized. 
He said, uh, go find a good church. By the way, I'm getting ready to start one here in Ephesus. Go find a good church and be a part of it. Is that what he said? He said, believe, trust, have faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. If you're here today and you haven't put your 100% total faith, trust, reliance in Christ, his death, his burial, and resurrection, why don't you do that today? Why not just call on his name out of a heart of faith and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. Will you save me? Letter E, notice it sanctifies the saved. It sanctifies the saved. For sake of time, we're not going to turn to Romans 1.17 and the books in Acts. But I'll just say this to you. You're saved by faith and you're washed up and clean and made into the image of Christ by faith. The mistake I have made most of my Christian life, growing up in a Baptist church, if there's one, uh, uh, if there's one critique, I have many critiques, but if there's one critique I have of many Baptist churches, and something I'm looking to right the ship with here, is that there's a lot of merit put on good behavior. It's almost, you better behave this way externally or else. Or else, or else. Now, um, I do believe in good behavior, and I do believe people ought to behave a certain way. And I believe there's a moral code of conduct in the Bible that we all ought to follow. But here's the question. Are we just working to look good on the outside while we're filthy on the inside? My friend, God wants to sanctify the inner man. This whole series on producing through the Spirit is about putting your roots down in Christ. It's about engrafting Christ into and letting the limbs of Christ shoot outward. And then the fruit of the Spirit, those nine fruits, be developed on the tree. And one of those is faith. It's faith. And I must trust Christ. To redeem me, Hebrews, or rather to sanctify me, to, to clean me up. Hebrews chapter number 11 goes through what the, uh, many have labeled as the hall of faith. It's a list of a bunch of Old Testament characters and all of the things that they did. Uh, and can I tell you, the emphasis should not be put on the people, but on the faith of the people. Hey, praise God that Joshua had, uh, the walls fell down with Joshua. But you know what knocked the walls down was not Joshua, it was the faith in Joshua's heart. You know what's going to get you where God wants you to be in Him? It's going to be your faith. It's going to be your trust. It is faith that saves us. It is faith that sanctifies us. Boy, faith is a powerful force. It is a powerful force. It supplies our needs. It soothes our fears. It it may strengthen our bodies. It saves the lost. It sanctifies the saved. Notice number three, faith's absence. Faith's absence will not tarry long here. Turn over to Matthew chapter 17. And verse 16, Matthew 17 and verse 16, the Bible says there, we're going to read down through verse 21, it says, And I brought him to the disciples, and they could not cure him. Now, Jesus just is coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration. He's been uh, glorified, put in his glorified body just for a brief moment. Peter, James, and John got to witness that. The other nine disciples were at the base of the mountain there, awaiting Christ. And a man who had a son who was demon-possessed brought that son to Jesus, and uh, uh, they could not cast the demons out. And so, uh, verse 17, then Jesus answered and said, O faithless... And perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil. And he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then cameth the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not, uh, why, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus saith unto him, Because of your absence of faith, because of your unbelief, 
For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto that mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing uh, shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth out but by prayer and fasting. Now quickly turn over to James chapter number 2. And I want to make a, a really powerful point here in the message. This point may be uh, exactly what somebody here uh, needs. James chapter number 2 has a passage that has come across as very confusing to a lot of people. Let me just say that before we read it, James was not written to the lost. It was written to the saved. And there is a faith that saves us. There is a faith that sanctifies us. Okay, Once you're saved, you're always saved. This faith being talked about in James 2 is a sanctifying faith. It's talking about a faith that cleans us up. Now, look at James chapter 2, verse 5, and we'll tie this back into what we just read in Matthew. James 2, 5 says, uh, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? Do, uh, do, do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If you are, uh, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are uh, uh, convicted uh, of the law uh, as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, uh, offendeth all. God, I'm in the wrong spot here. I have to start being a little more uh, diligent in putting my passages down. Here's the point I want to make here. That's 15. I'm reading the wrong spot. Look at 15. James 2.15. My apologies. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you unto them depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. And do, What doth it profit? Even so faith... If it hath not works, look here, is dead, being alone. Yea, man shall say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou uh, believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe in trouble, uh, tremble. Uh, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without works is dead? Now, Jesus was looking at this, uh, his disciples, his nine disciples, who were not able to cast out the demon. And they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we, we cast him out in your name and nothing happened. What happened here? And Jesus said it was because of your unbelief. Because you didn't have faith. Then he looked at them and he made a very interesting statement. He said, this kind of demon cometh forth but by prayer and fasting. You know what faith materialized as to them? Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. What is prayer? Prayer is running to God and saying, I can't, but you can. I can't. You know what that is? That's trust. That's trust. You know what fasting is? Fasting is saying, God, I'm really going to work to get a hold of your attention. Because you can and I can't. The reason why these disciples could not cast this demon out is because they said they had faith, but they weren't willing to do the things that represented faith. Are you with me this morning? You can walk around, you can walk out of this building and say, I'm a man or woman of faith. Hey, that's great. What works do you have to back it up? Brother John here, let's say Brother John's homeless. He's not, he's got a job and a place to live. Let's just say Brother John here is homeless. And Brother John comes up to me and says, Pastor Lejeune, I am homeless and, and I don't have anything and I'm hungry. And I say, Brother John... Have faith. God will take care of you. 
And I turn around and I go to my nice warm bed, my refrigerator full of food. Oh, I have faith that God's going to take care of him. But maybe God wants to use me to put food in his belly. Maybe God wants to use me to help him get his life back on track. Faith without your works is dead, my friend. If you're not willing to go forth and follow and obey God and do what he tells you to do... You can say you have faith all day. Show me your faith by your works. And a lot of us say, oh, I'm a man of faith. I'm a woman of faith. How are you serving at White Oak Baptist Church? How are you serving your family, sir? How are you serving your family, ma'am? How are you loving the world around you? How are you honoring God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself? You show me the material evidence of how hard you work for the Lord and how much you call on His name in prayer. And I will show you how much faith that you have. Faith, Faith's absence. Next notice, faith's atrophy. Faith's atrophy. Quickly, Matthew chapter 8, verse 26, and Matthew 16, verse 8. Jesus says to the disciples, O ye of little faith. You know what that means? That means their faith muscle was really puny, really tiny, really tiny. They had some faith, but their faith just wasn't very strong. Now, here's where I want to, I want to make this point, and we'll finish up the message with the last, uh, the, the last um, uh, thought. Your faith muscle, please listen. It's either growing or it's shrinking. You're either getting stronger in your faith or you're getting weaker in your faith. You're either allowing God to grow you more and he's challenging you more or you're drifting away and you're getting weaker and weaker and weaker. We have some folks in the church that do occupational therapy or, or our HHAs, home health aides, and they go into elderly people's homes and they take care of them. And what you find is that the body will fall apart if it's not regularly exercised. I went up to see Betty Olson this past week at the hospital and she said, oh, some ladies just came in here and they had me standing up and laying down and they were moving my arms all around. And you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to keep muscular atrophy from setting into her. Can I tell you that for some of you here today, because you're so self-centered and so self-reliant, your faith in God, that muscle has gotten weaker and weaker and weaker. And today I look at you the way Jesus looked at his disciples and I ask you this, are you a disciple of little faith? Are you a disciple of little faith? Let's finish the message with this. Faith's advancement. Faith's advancement. Are you advancing forward in your faith or are you regressing in your faith? Are you progressing or are you regressing? Quickly, let her notice our prayer. Our prayer. Luke chapter 17, verse 5, the disciples looked at Jesus and said, uh, uh, Increase our faith. Increase our faith. Hey, is that a prayer you pray regularly? I think the disciples were tired of hearing Jesus say that they had little faith. So we looked at them, they looked at Jesus and said, okay, Lord, increase our faith. Is that a prayer you pray regularly? Lord, my faith could be stronger. My, my, my spirit is troubled. I, I'm fearful of these unknowns in my life. I, I don't know how this is going to happen or be taken care of. And Lord, I'm not living my life appropriately. Increase our faith. Let her be. Notice God's plan. God's plan. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says this. It says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. On top of our prayer, we need to have time in the word of God. 
We need to put ourselves around the Word of God. We need to allow God's Word to touch and alter and change our lives. Letter C, notice our practice. Our practice. Turn over with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And look with me at verse number 4. Now, I told you earlier in the message that the church of Thessalonica was a church of under great persecution. Look at verse 4. So that we ought, so that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith. Look here. In all persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. How does God grow our faith? By bringing persecutions and tribulations. Persecutions and tribulations. And those are big, scary sounding words. Can I tell you what persecutions and tribulations are? They're just problems. They're hardships. They're hardships. There will come a day, I believe, in America down the road where we experience some of the persecution that our Christian brethren in the Middle East experience. But that's not where we are today. Today, the tribulation and the persecutions that you suffer may be the loss of employment. It may be the loss of health. It may be the loss of finances. It, it may be the backstabbing of a friend or a loved one. I don't know what it looks like in your life, but I know this. God's going to bring hardship into your life. Hardship into your life. You can shake your fist at God when that happens, or you can say, Lord, are you trying to increase my faith? Are you trying to increase my faith? God uses these things to make our faith stronger, to advance our faith. Are you walking by faith or are you walking by sight? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ to save you and take you to heaven? If you are saved, are you growing by faith? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, we ask that you take the message, every part of it. Help us to identify that area in our life where our faith is weak. I know in times in my life I've looked and said... This area and this area are strong, but these areas are weak. And so, Lord, for each one here today, help us to identify where we're not trusting in you quite like we ought to be. Lord, would you help that faith fruit to flourish and blossom and grow. And Lord, may the world look at us and see folks who walk by faith. For the one here today that has not put their faith and trust in you to save them, would you help them to do that before they leave here today? In Jesus' name.